You know, one of the most exciting things uh, for me to be a part of this fellowship is when new leaders rise up. And even though Erica was probably a little bit nervous about getting up and reading the scriptures today, I thought she did an amazing job. Can we just say thank you to her? Thank you. And the willingness for new leaders to step forward and face the unknown is exactly where each one of us is in the faith. And what V said a little bit earlier about being more than conquerors, I hope that that message is going to be really encouraging to you today as it is to me. So why don't we get started with some prayer and dive into the back half of Romans chapter 8. And again, Romans 8, if you ever want a synopsis of the point of Christianity and the reason why we are Christ followers, you're going to find the full power of the gospel packaged so nicely in Romans chapter 8. From beginning to end, it's just full of gems. So why don't you join me in prayer and we'll dive in. God, thank you so much for Romans and for this letter that came to a bunch of people who were probably just trying to figure you out. Some of them had been kicked out of Rome and probably had no idea whether you were still interested in them or not. And others had followed other gods or been raised in different ways to follow pagan gods and gods that were really not, uh, not the true God, not you. And they were rediscovering you again through this letter and through their fellowship. God, we just ask that you come and you work on our hearts. That you massage our hearts and change us from the inside out. So that we would follow Jesus with renewed strength. That's why you called us here today according to your purpose. And that's why you called us according to your purpose in our everyday lives. So we ask that you come and speak now and encourage us and lift us up as iron sharpens iron. In your name we pray. Together we say amen. Amen. So again, uh, you guys uh, pull your phones, if you will, and your Bibles, if you will, turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to jump in, and as we've been doing over the past weeks, we've been taking a look at the entire chapter of Romans, and there's a bit of assumption going on with the use of Romans throughout this whole series. The assumption is that when we are working our way through the book, that you might take the opportunity in, in and of your own time to pull a chapter and read it for yourself. What you would be doing is kind of setting the table or, or serving yourself appetizers for when you come to worship here to the gathering at Burkett, and then we break the scripture up a little bit more and feed a little more deeply. This is kind of like the meal of scripture, what you're about to receive right now. The appetizer is when you get into the word yourself and you have eyes on. That's something that you don't need to necessarily just keep for Sunday morning. In fact, I'd encourage you to read through these books of, or chapters of the book of Romans on your own before and between when you're coming together here at Burkett with the rest of your faith family. And then when we get here, what we're always going to do during a series like this, an expository series, is we're going to focus on, in on a key set of scriptures. And today, the key set of scriptures is really the first part of what was read just a few minutes ago by Erica. Now, Erica read the version, and I asked her to do this on purpose. Erica read the version that is geared towards 6 to 10-year-olds. The reason is, is because they take the language of Paul, which tends to be very long and very rich and they break it down to bite-sized pieces. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pivot and I'm going to go toward the NIV, the New International Version, 
whereas what she read was what's called the New International Reader's Version, the kids' version. So you're going to see a couple of different perspectives in this paragraph, which is really pivotal and central for the Christian faith. What I'd like to do is just read back through this, and you're going to notice, as we've been doing each week, we're bolding three concepts. So the idea is we serve the entire chapter of eight over a couple of weeks, and then we kind of hone in on one paragraph, and then we take three key concepts and break them down. This makes it a little bit more uh, palatable for us to be able to focus in on some key concepts. So the scripture says, and we know that in all things, and V's right, it is all things, not some things, that works in the kingdom of God. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In Erica's version, said appointed. Predestined is appointed. We'll get into that in a little bit as well. To be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, just like you and me. Verse 30 says, And though he, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things, these truths? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the implication of asking that question is that nobody can be against us. If we're going to use extremes, then we're going to use extremes in all cases with this scripture, right? If all things work for the good, then nobody can be against us. That means we are, as a church, as a force in the world, unstoppable. So let's go there. Let's dive in. Now, when V mentioned the idea of all things working for the good, she did mention a few examples, and we're going to kind of focus on variations of those. When you have a loved one who is in the hospital or stuck at home ill, like our friend Ruth is this morning, and we're kind of trying to connect with her so that she can be a part of the fellowship here, even though she's recovering at home. Two weeks ago, she had a scare and went to the hospital. She ended up with surgery. Many of us know people who have had that happen in their lives. So the question is, how can something like that work for the good of the church? How can something like an illness that's a surprise and a hospital visit with surgery and recovery work for the good of the fellowship and the person in the fellowship? How can a family falling apart and having troubles communicating and being on the same page work for the good of all the family members and the church? How can someone losing his job and not being able to pay his bills work for the good of his life and for the life of the church? How can someone in deep credit card debt, having collection calls 24-7, not being able to pay normal bills, how can that possibly work for the good of that person and the church? Maybe you've been snookered on the sales floor before. Maybe someone has taken you out to lunch and taken your money. Maybe you have come away from a transaction with less than you were promised. Maybe you've been cheated. Maybe you've been stepped on. Maybe you've been worked through the system. How can that be for your good? 
How can that be for the good of the church? If God says that all things work for the good, how can we trust that what he means is what he says and what he says is what he means? That that bad circumstance can be good for us. How can we trust that? Well, the idea is related directly to Jesus. Now that seems like stating the obvious because we make a big deal of Jesus when we come here, don't we? Jesus is the center of everything we do. Jesus' body and blood is in, with, and under the bread and wine. He's at the middle of everything we're doing. That's no exception here. Because Jesus, part of what Jesus did is suffered and died on the cross, right? But part of that experience was suffering. He was suffering for you and me. So that when you and I go through suffering, when you and I experience what it means to be cheated or to lose or to experience bad things, what's happening is God is working faith in us. God is growing trust in us. He's giving us the opportunity to return to the one who made us in the first place. And yet when we're in the middle of those circumstances, sometimes it's really hard to remember that, isn't it? That is why we have God's Word. God's Word guides us. God's Word sets us on true north when we've lost our way. God's Word reminds us who made us and reminds us who is in charge of us and who is here providing for us day in and day out. That is specifically tied to the concept of the image of Jesus, the image of His Son. Now, some people studying this scripture take a little bit of a turn and kind of focus on the idea of being predestined or being um, assigned or uh, being appointed, as Erica's version said a few minutes ago. What does that mean that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son? It means that from the beginning, when God was even contemplating making you and me, when he was contemplating making the earth and taking something that was formless and void and filling it with you and me and the animals and all the rest of creation, before he was even there, he was considering what your life and mine would be like in the kingdom of God. Do you understand that about yourself? God knew you by name even before he sent Jesus to be born as a baby. He knew your name. He knew the numbers of hairs that would be on your head. He knew the numbers of days that you would walk the earth. He knew what kind of person you would be. And he knew that as he sent his son into your life, he knew whether or not you would receive Jesus into your life. And that goes to every single person. That truth is for every single person who has ever been created and lived who is living now and who will ever live in the future. God knows beforehand whether or not you will receive Jesus into your life as your Savior. He sent Jesus for the entire world and he knew who would receive Jesus or not. What he's saying here is that for those who would receive Jesus and would follow him and would take every single step of their life in pursuit of him by the power of the Holy Spirit. He knew that every single person who would do that 
uh, by his grace and by his power, would receive everything that Jesus is without Jesus holding anything back, even body and blood. The reason is he wants to make us like his son. And the reason for that is, is because his son became like you and me when he went to the cross. There was a substitution that was made. And we've talked about this in the past. But Jesus is what has come to the planet to bring us close to God, the God who made us. This idea of image is directly related to our word for icon. Now, if you can see all the icons on the screen, and if you're listening by podcast, there's something like 50 or 60 different icons that you might find on anybody's smartphone. I can see the entire group right now counting all the icons they know and looking at them and smiling in recognition. There are some of them on the screen that our folks don't know. Probably about a third of those icons I've never seen before. I have no idea what they are, but they serve some kind of function. Because if you see that icon on your phone and you tap on the icon, what does it do? It takes you to an application that does something. So the icon represents some function on your smartphone, doesn't it? You tap on the icon and some function on the phone opens up. The icon is a representation of something that happens. Jesus is the icon of the Heavenly Father. You tap on Jesus and what do you get? You get Creator God. You get Redeemer God. And you get God the Holy Spirit. You tap into Jesus and the full experience of who God is is available to you. God does not force Himself upon you no more than your phone forces you to use an application. You tap on the icon and what happens? The functionality and usefulness of that application is now available to you, isn't it? It's the same with Jesus. Jesus is God's kingdom. Jesus is God's plan. Jesus is God's purpose. And you tap on Jesus and all of God's plan, purpose, and power are available to you at the asking. This is what God foreknew in your life. He knew that way before you were born or anybody else you know, way before his son Jesus was even born. He knew that your life would be about Jesus. And that as you are drawn to Jesus and as you follow Jesus, your life is destined to become more like his. Folks, that's more than simply coming to church, isn't it? That is a life that is actively involved in the kingdom of God, as we've said before. But it is a life that is meant to change, to become more like the application of the kingdom of God. And that's what's happening in every single one of your lives. I can look across our entire fellowship, face by face, eyeball to eyeball, and I know that change is happening in every single one of you. Sometimes the change is comfortable and predictable. Sometimes the change is uncomfortable and challenging, as in when negative things happen in your life. 
But when those things happen, it's because they are part of a program in your life that is intended to make you more remade in the image of God's Son, Jesus. You are becoming the icon. You are becoming who Jesus is. And when people tap on you, what do they get? They get a glimpse. They get an image of the kingdom of God. Now, whether they come up and tap you on the forehead physically, or that tapping is you sharing a coffee together, or a beer together, or a meal together, or a conversation together, whatever that tap looks like, they are exposed to some bit of the kingdom of God that they didn't get if they didn't know you. That's how special and important and unique and called you are. And that's not just some of us. That's every single person in this room and your kids. Think about that for a minute. It's the idea that if Jesus were a symbol, if he were an icon that we would tap into and be exposed to the kingdom of God, that is how you and me function in the kingdom of God. Think of it another way. This is an artistic rendering of fiber optics. What happens with a fiber optic cable? You put the cabling out there in the community and what happens through the cabling? Energy is passed and people are able to experience the internet and stream shows and share communications faster than they've ever been able to do. And if that fiber optic cable were not there, then that speed and that efficiency of the transmission of energy would not be there either, would it? We'd still be back in the days of coax cable and other older forms of technology. But God works the same way through Jesus. He puts a pipeline to the human race through Jesus, and through that pipeline comes the kingdom of God. You and I were made from before time to be a part of that pipeline. We were made from before time to be a conduit for the kingdom of God in its delivery to the world. What that means for us is that we are predestined, we are appointed. Those of us who will trust in Jesus have been thought about and planned for from the beginning. And we also know that as God has planned for us from the beginning, he's also called us. And a call comes individually by name, but it also calls, it also comes in community. We are called by name in community. And then that call leads to justification, where we understand and acknowledge that Jesus died for us on the cross and then did what? Rose again. And then in all that, we are now justified before God. And there's no more sin that stands between us and God's kingdom and God our Father. And the scripture says that he also glorified us before time. That he glorified us through Jesus and in him. He didn't glorify us because we are good. He glorifies us because Jesus is good. And because as Jesus took our place on the cross, we take Jesus's place walking around in earth. And through that, through that conduit, through that iconology, God is glorified. Think about how God is glorified in your life. 
It's not through any special action. It's just through you being who you are. You're Brennan. You're Lindsay. You're Angus. You're Tim. You're who you are. You're who you are in the kingdom of God. And God uses you powerfully as you are because of Jesus. So then it leads to good news. It says, what then shall we say in response to these ideas? If God is for us, who can be against us? I would even add to that, what can be against us? As in the circumstances of life, as in those difficulties that we listed on the screen, the same ones that V referred to earlier. Here's the idea. I don't know if you've seen Infinity Wars yet, but what's cool about that movie is as they're all kind of, you know, running around in Wakanda. If you know where Wakanda is, then you know you've seen Black Panther and you've seen Infinity Wars, right? Wakanda is this cool city. And what does Wakanda have over it? It has this invisible force field. And why would it have an invisible force field over it, protecting all these armies that are running around in it, getting ready to engage with the enemy? Thanos. It has this force field over it to protect it so that all these armies can amass if they need to. The shield, the force field, gives the armies of Wakanda a chance to assemble and scramble and prepare for war. It gives them a chance to be defended and to take care to get ready for an oncoming attack. In the same way, as you think about the idea of God being for you, what that means is, is that God forms kind of a faith force field around your life. He forms a protection over your life. This faith that you have forms a protection against the enemy who would come and say to you, you are not predestined. You are not called. You are not justified and you will not be glorified and when circumstances come in life the temptation for you and me is to believe that we are not called we are not justified we are not glorified and God never had us in mind in the first place that is the onslaught against your soul and mine every single day as we live our life but our faith forms a force field over our hearts and reminds us that we were thought about before time, that we were called through our circumstances, that we were justified by Jesus, his death on the cross and his resurrection, and we will be glorified with him. And along with that, God will be glorified through us and in us. See, that force field protects us, and it keeps in mind, it keeps forward the message and the truth that God is for us and that nothing can stop his kingdom. Now think about it this way as we close. Do you believe that Jesus will come again one day, and that he's going to come on the clouds, and he's going to do everything that he promised? If you believe that to be true, then either it's going to happen or it's not. There is no in-between. Jesus coming again is not inference. It's not innuendo. Jesus coming again is a fact. 
And we either trust in it and believe in it, or we don't. Isn't that right? And so if we trust in it, then comes the idea. We have nothing to lose. We literally have nothing to lose. Think about it. What's the worst that could happen to you? What is the worst? The worst is that you could lose your life, right? But then what happens if you lose your life? You will find it. It will be there. It will rise again. And it will live forever. If you think about that fact, that fact gives you a basis of trust. It gives you a way to look at your life so that you don't have to be afraid. You never have to be afraid of anything that comes against you. Why? Because if God is for us, there is nothing that can stand against us. Not one single thing. That's no job loss. That's no loss of a loved one. That's no being cheated. That's no being in debt up to your eyeballs. That's no human circumstance you can imagine. Nothing can be against us. And you know what? That is a message that every single person in every one of our lives needs to hear and see and experience, isn't it? Think about it. Is there a single person in your life that doesn't need to hear how much God loves them and how much he wants to be for them? There's not one, is there? from the youngest to the oldest. So my hope is, is as we experience this idea, the scripture says later that we are more than conquerors. As we experience this idea and live it out, we really understand this is the life God meant for us. A life that has at its very foundation the idea that we cannot lose. We will not lose. And in fact, Jesus has and will continue to win in us and through us. If you believe that to be true, say amen, amen in your heart. That is where we stand before a loving and powerful God. So I'd ask you to pray with me now, and we're gonna sing a song about our God. We're gonna lift him up and glorify him, knowing that in the future and in the present, God works his glory through people like you and me, called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your power and for your might. Thank you for the honor of being called according to your purpose. Thank you for being the powerful God that you are. Thank you for calling me before time through Jesus. And that faith in Jesus means, faith in Jesus means that we have nothing to lose and nothing to fear. You are all powerful and mighty, God, and sometimes I forget about your power and your might. Sometimes I despair, and sometimes I think that life is less than about what you predestined it to be in me and through me. So I confess that before you now, and I lay that down before you, knowing that Jesus has conquered that too. We are more than conquerors in Christ more than people who simply inhabit a place and live at our days pointlessly. We are called according to your purpose and your purpose is meaningful and powerful and full and passionate. Come and work in us, God. 
as we gather here and then scatter, as we gather as family and then leave as members of the kingdom, work your power in us and continue to show the world that you already have and will continue to win. In your name we pray and together we say, Amen.